Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be your host. Today we're going to talk about survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training. uh, Known as SEER School for short. But before that, before we do that, as usual, I'm going to go over the housekeeping items. Namely, the email address and the website. The email address is navalaircrew at gmail.com and the website is www.navalair.net Now, in response to a request and in response to the way things are normally done for podcasts, um, I've, I've stood up a forum at navalair.net. You'll see a button up in the upper left-hand navigation area that says shows slash forum. And if you go to shows slash forum, it will take you to a forum where you can uh, register, log in, and leave feedback. Give your thoughts on shows. Give your thoughts on me. Give your thoughts on your your own naval aviation stories and history. If you'd like, you can leave that there. Um, it's new. It's out. I don't want to say it's exciting. <laughs> I was, um, to be honest with you, I was trying to attach the Naval Air Podcast to an established website and forum community, but uh, I got no response from those folks over there, so I just figured I'd fire up my own and we'll see if we get our own little community and, you know, yeah, that's that. We'll get our own little community going and see see how that goes. All right, now, uh, before I start talking about SEER school, there was one, there was one thing about SAR search and rescue school that I I had forgotten to mention that, you know, after I shut off the mic and put the show together and upload it and make it available for downloading, these things come to me. Um, Wait, you know what? We're going to use the forum for this. I'm going to, there's a, there's a, there's a piece of SAR school that I've wanted to talk about and I forgot to talk about. And I think that we're going to use the forum. If you want to know what Mike forgot to talk about at SAR School. It's nothing that big. But, you know, it was funny. Had a couple chuckles out of it. Go to the forum. Go to navalair.net. Click on the shows slash forum button. Go to the forum. And you'll see under... Yeah, I'm not sure what heading it'll be under. But there won't be that many things to search through at this early part of the game. So I think you'll find it. Uh, maybe it'll be under the SAR, the SAR School episode thread. That's probably the best place to look for it. Oh, and if you're wondering why it's shows slash form, because you can click on it, you're going to be taken to the form, and that's where you also you'll find you know the show's description. So. And you can browse those without having to actually log in, I suppose. You'd have to log in to leave your feedback. Also, again, the uh, iTunes. If you want to leave feedback at iTunes, you can do that as well. Alright, so Seer School. All right, just like the name implies, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Now, Seer School is one of those schools where there's no whole lot, not a whole lot of book learning. The whole course, I want to say, was like nine days. That's just an odd number. It sticks in my head. I suppose if I wanted to look up on the 
my DD214, it'll tell me how long the course was. Um, but nine days, so we'll go with that for now. And the book learning was the first couple days, and it was the you're basically being taught your code of conduct. Because, all right. Sears School is a training for people that have, that are in jobs that there's a potential for capture, being taken into enemy hands, thrown in prison of war camps, that kind of stuff. So the training is geared to that. What to do if you are captured? What to do if you eject or bail out of your aircraft and you find yourself in the jungle, desert, woods, whatever, trying to evade capture and live off the land. That's the survival part is how to live off the land. Now, if you remember at air crew school, there was an overnight uh, survival, land survival, we call it land survival, land survival portion, again, where you learn to live off the land plants that are edible, how to catch certain animals, that kind of thing. Sear school, the survival portion is that over again. Um, But the first, again, the first things is the classroom portion is a a combination of what plants are edible in the areas you're going to be at, what animals to try to catch, how to catch them. Some of it's refresher because you've already seen it at air crew school. Um, and then going over the code of conduct, there's a, there's a code of conduct for American POW. You're supposed to try to remember your, it's a code of conduct. You know, I'm an American fighting man. I am doing this for my country. And it's, it's this like little mantra. Um, I suppose if I did more research, more preparation, I would have gone to, you Google, I can, I'm sure I can Google the phrase, I am an American fighting man and be taken to the code of conduct for an American PLW. And also part of the cor- the course was methods of resistance. Because if you are captured, you are to resist whatever they want you to do as much as possible. And they talk about the small victories because it's, the small victories are a way for you to also keep your sanity. You know, you give them the big things and you keep the small things for yourself. I mean, crazy things. Like if you're supposed to sit a certain way, you sit the way you want. That's a small victory if they don't beat you for it. Or even if they do beat you for it and they leave you alone after that, you still do what you want. Um, that kind of a thing. So the big thing was, you know, here's the plants you can eat. Here's the animals that you might find. Probably that was a day. The next day was... This is the code of conduct for an American fighting man. You know, you say this, you say that. Um, The Geneva Convention, you know what you're supposed to say. Name, rank, and serial number. That's all you're required to give. Oh, date of birth, sorry. Name, rank, serial number, and date of birth. Um, That's all you're required to give. You're You're not supposed to say anything else. You try not to say anything else. At the same time, if you're getting beaten or threatened with death, you know, then give up give up as little as possible to avoid those that's i mean even beating they would say okay look you know take as much as you can and resist as much as possible get the small victories um we might have done another half a day in the classroom early 
dismiss for they gave us clothing again old vietnam area fatigues green all olive drab army dress you know pants they also gave us long johns which i thought was funny because we we're going the last week of august it was it was the last week of august early september before labor day wait i have my calendars here why don't i just check that july let's see august um graduate from SAR school the 12th okay now SEER school oh okay yeah SEER school is run by the fleet aviation specialized operational training group pacific phaso trade group pack for short or just phaso and phaso was one of those places that again if, if the class didn't stand up you got stashed so we graduated from SAR school on the 12th of August. Go check into FASO, because FASO is a different command. We had to move barracks. Um, that probably occurred that Friday. Maybe even Monday the 15th, because we were stashed. Check in, move barracks, and then um, we would field. We had to clean the barracks. They're cleaning their barracks like for three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, I think they let us go early. And on August twenty second, nineteen eighty three, we our our Sear School class formed up, and we'd spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in class. Um, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in class. One uh, Wednesday, probably they issued us our clothing. Come back Thursday morning, meet here for the buses to take you out to El Centro, because Sear School. You know, the survival portion, we would spend a day, 24 hours, two days, a 24-hour period maybe, uh, out in the desert for desert survival. What to do if you, you know, crash or in the desert. Now, there's no evasion, resistance, and escape going on in El Centro in the desert. It was just survival. And we had a bus load. Was it a bus load? Two buses? One bus. There's like 36 of us in our class, I think. A mixture of officers, enlisted folks, all aviation types. I think they're all aviation types. Pilots, naval flight officers, and air crewmen. And we're putting in the little squads as well. We had a senior ranking officer, the SRO. He was a lieutenant commander in 04. He was the guy that the instructors would go to, okay, form up the class, dismiss the class, tell the class this, do that. And we were kind of split into little groups. So we got on the bus, drive out to El Centro from San Diego, couple few hour drive you know and this is a school bus okay this is not <laughs> this is not a tour bus this is not a fancy air-conditioned bus with the head in the back it was a school bus all right so we get in the school bus you drive out to el centro to the training area i, I want to say we got there at like two in the afternoon i mean the hottest part of the day and uh, that's where the instructors take you and say okay look you know you if you find yourself in a desert environment uh, you know, oh, we all had water. We all had canteens. That was part of our issue. The green fatigues, the long johns, uh, utility belt, you know, army web belt with a canteen. Get off the bus. You know, here's your desert training environment. Here's some parachutes. Uh, in the middle of the day, in the daytime, our desert survival training, the daytime is when you conserve energy. And then the nighttime is when you get things done. So you find some scrub brushes. We found a few brush, you know, bushes out there and throw your parachute over that to create some shade and you just kind of hang out in the shade 
and in my group, I remember one of the one of the officers was a was an A four pilot, and uh, you know football linebacker sized dude, and he, he was he was always commenting that that the um, it was funny that all the big guys got sent to A four. The A fours are small airplanes, and uh, so he said it was best airplane. Anyway, that's a little tangent for you. We um. We hung out in the shade, chatting about whatever we had been doing in the Navy so far, what we did before the Navy. Now, keep in mind, this is August of 83, so I'm barely 19 years old. I'm not I'm knowing all that much. You know, I've traveled a bit before, but, you know, still. still. All right, so what did they give? Oh, so food, dinner came along. The whole time for Sear School, where food was provided, were sea rations. Now, C rations are the precursors to MREs. MREs are what people in the field eat and use now. Meals ready to eat. We also call them bag nasties. It's dehydrated food and, you know, use water to reconstitute it, you know, if you wanted to eat it. Or you can eat the stuff dry. Anyway, C rations. That's not S-E-A as in C as in the C service with the Navy. Is it C ration? The letter C as in canned. Sea rations are all canned. It's canned food. Um, so it's still water. You know, it's still, I remember one of the, and it was a, you know, an entree, a fruit, you know, usually fruit cocktail, a couple other things in a box. And, the, you know, each case of sea rations, I think it was 12. And there's one little can opener. It's, it's a little tiny. It's tiny. It's about the size of a paper clip. They're called P38s or John Wayne's. Um, it was actually a, a, I don't want to say a, a rite of passage, but it was a, a mark of distinction, I guess, if you can get your hands on the P-38 and keep it. Anyway, so they hand out the C rations for dinner. You know, we have to share the can open or open the stuff, eat the eat the food. Um, you know, dusk and then nighttime when the sun finally fell, that's when they really started training us in earnest. This is what you would do in the desert environment. This is how you would try to, you know, collect water if you could. If you had any greenery, you know, this is how you would... Uh, we all got to test fire flares. We got to do that kind of stuff. We kind of, I don't know, stayed up till 11 o'clock midnight doing various training things. You know, how to navigate through the desert at night. Um, you know, how to make sure, you know, because sometimes deserts, you're climbing and lowering dunes. Or, you know, you're traversing sand dunes. Or how to stay at the top of a dunes. and th- Things like that. How to, you know, how just how to move around and be in the desert not die i don't remember too much about the sleeping arrangements i think we all just kind of sacked out on the ground i mean we weren't given any creature comforts really um we were told to keep our boots on because they didn't want any uh, uh you know scorpions or anything no one caught any scorpions i don't remember no wait yes an instructor did catch a scorpion out there um but yeah keep the boots on because you don't want any snakes or scorpions going in there and and uh you know, making a home and then you stick your foot in there and be in trouble. Anyway, nobody got hurt. Um, next morning we got up. I don't know if we got more sea rations for breakfast or not. We stayed out there till about noon. Then the buses showed up and took us to Warner Springs. Now, Warner Springs is in North San Diego County or Southwest Riverside County. Um, Cleveland National Forest area. It's wooded. 
but not with evergreens, a whole lot of evergreens. Um, I don't know how to describe the terrain. Typical California, Southern California wild terrain. Mixture of oak trees, some pines, shrubs, bushes, ravines from, from uh, you know, winter runoffs, things like that. And Warner Springs is where you're going to do some more survival training, more land navigation across the terrain, moving from one area to another, you know, moving in a stealthy manner, um, how to take care of, how to make animals into food, things like that. All right, so we get to Warner Springs. I want to say we got there. Maybe the bus has picked us up before noon at the desert because I want to say we got to Warner Springs three in the afternoon maybe a little earlier because we um, we got off the buses and went straight into a classroom and the classroom up there gave us more detailed information on the plants that were edible uh, plants that you can make a tea out of you know you can you can uh, strain hot water through the leaves of this plant and it would taste good and it would you know have have some medicinal properties if you're having troubles with your insides and things like that. So that was probably, I don't know, it was a couple, good couple hours. And then we formed up and we were going to move to what they call a bivouac area or camping area. Now, again, we got we have no real creature comforts. So we have a hat on our head. You know, we have Vietnam area, green fatigues with long johns on, a web belt with a canteen, Maybe a parachute to share between a couple guys. You know, not a whole lot. And you got to remember, there's people going through this course once a week, once every other week. So it's, you know, the areas are pretty much well, uh, what's the term? They're well worn, okay? The trails are worn in. The certain bivouac or camping or training areas are, are worn in. I mean, they even have some benches there, okay? So we move out of the classroom out to a, our first bivouac area, which is, you know, a couple hundred yards down the road and into a certain area, a big tree. And the instructors would get up and tell you, okay, this is that and this is that. We're going to sleep here for the night. And, and today you're going to get, uh, today you'll get sea rations, you know, make, make places to sleep. So that was what I remember of that. Um, next morning we get up, we move to a new area. Uh, today we're not getting sea rations today we'll be expected to make our uh, our own food from animals from small animals that you may or may not catch well guess what they provide you with rabbits yes they provide you with rabbits they have little domestic rabbits and typically they say for a class of our size we would get five rabbits but the week after us was Labor Day week, weekend. There was going to be a break in class, so they had extra rabbits we had to get rid of. So we had 12 bunny rabbits. And you, right now you might be thinking, what are we going to do with the bunny rabbits? Well, they showed us how to slaughter a bunny to make rabbit soup or stew or whatever. Now... <clears throat> In a real environment, if you manage to get your hands on a rabbit and you haven't eaten for a couple days, you probably have no problem slaughtering a bunny, skinning him, and making him into soup. But, (laughs) 
you know, we're not that far removed from civilization at this point in the training. And, um, you know, there wasn't that many takers to stand up and slaughter a rabbit. Now, I'm not going to, you know, there's the, the method. I mean, the, demo, the the instructor demonstrated, he grabbed one rabbit out of the cage and, you know, shows you how to do it. Grab him by a hind feet, swing him over your head, hit him into a rock, stun him, break his neck, and then off you go. All right. So, you know, some of us are not that hardy. And some of us, again, aren't that, again, like I said, not that far removed from civilization to be all wholeheartedly eager to try this. You know, some instructors, okay, who wants to try try their hands at slaughtering a rabbit? Well, you know, six or eight dudes, okay, I'll try it, right? So, you know, imagine this scene of eight guys, you know. Oh, by the way, the rabbits saw their buddy, you know, their cage mate. They saw what happened to him. So the next hand that goes into that cage, the rabbits start freaking out. You know, they're squealing and running around, you know. So the six or eight guys, they reach in there and they grab their rabbits and they do their thing. And it was kind of a scene out of, I, I don't know, it's just surrealistic to think of these six or eight rabbits flying around over people's heads and getting cracked in the rocks and that, eh, you know. When all, when all was said, no, there were still two or three rabbits left and there were no takers. So a couple of guys got to do two rabbits. Anyway, so next thing you know, they, they had provided us a pot, which is odd, right? I mean... <laughs> they would tell you, okay, you catch a rabbit. Typically, you would probably put the rabbit on a stick, you know, roast him over a fire. But we're going to make rabbit soup because we want one fire. We don't want 12. We want the we want you to be able to finish cooking these rabbits today. So they provided a pot and water and, you know, the skinned and prepped rabbit carcasses, I guess, went in the pot and they cooked all day. Well, not all day, but they cooked for a decent amount of time while... While they took us out on little hikes to show us how to, you know, to a stream to collect water, to do this, to do that. Just various little training, hands-on training while you're out in the woods. How to make squirrel snares, we did that again. How to make a fishnet, but there's no there's no fish in the stream, so they said, you know, it's, and besides, you can't, you're not allowed to make gill nets. It's supposed to be cruel and an unusual punishment, but, you know, again, if you're, one step closer to death, you're going to do what you got to do to survive. All right. So remember that night, you know, we ate our rabbit stew. And my memories of it is, you know, I hadn't eaten since the day before. So it was, it was, uh, it was satisfactory enough. Everyone got plenty to, you know, it was run rabbit for three people. We had 12 bunnies, 36 guys. So it was run rabbit for three people. So we, we did okay. Spent the night. The next morning, this is our third day there, I want to say the next morning they tell us, okay, we're going to move to another, to another, you know, bivouac area. We're going to move, this is how we're going to go across, and we're going to set up camp that night, and again, more, you know, practice on how to move from point A to point B, how to move through the woods stealthily, how to how to not get lost if you don't have a compass. Yeah. Different means of moving around, okay? Because we're still we're in the survival phase and we're still in some of the, the evasion, evading capture, right? Um, again, that night we got sea rations for dinner and the instructors came and told us that tomorrow, the next day, would be a practice evasion. Now, practice evasion is we're here, 
your goal is to move to there without getting seen or caught. Okay. And there will be bad guys. Now, you might be wondering what they mean when they say there'll be bad guys. Now, to make this training as realistic as possible, the bad guys are people dressed like, not necessarily like Soviets, because at this, you know, in the early 80s, the Soviets were the bad guy. They were our enemy. But some little state, nation state that is communist, okay? You know, Middle Eastern, Middle East, you know, European, Central European, Eastern European, you know, they would speak with accents. When I get into that phase of it, I'll speak like them. But bad guys are out there, and these are people that are looking for you to capture you, okay? And so they say, be careful. Even this is a practice evasion. There are bad guys out there. Try not to be seen by them. Try not to be caught by them. Because um, if you are caught by them, they may or may not let you go. Oh, here's another quick uh, tangent or side note. Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Well, to pr- practice resistance and to practice escape you will have to spend time in a POW camp. So ultimately, when you do these evasions, you're going to end up in the POW camp. Okay, That's where everyone has to go. Everyone has to be there. Everyone has to do that stuff. So you don't want to spend, you want to spend the least amount of time in the POW camp as possible. That's the goal. So they tell you this practice evasion. If they pick you up, you might end up in the POW camp a day before everybody else. Because the day after the practice evasion is the real evasion. And that's when things get really fun. So that morning we did our practice evasion. And sure enough, you know, you had so much time to move from point A to point B. Um, You know, not even 15 minutes into it as you're creeping through the woods on your hands and knees, staying away from trails and, you know, out of sight lines. You know, you hear guys out there uh, in their fake Russian accents, you know, American pig, we are here looking for you. And they had uh, Soviet block weapons, you know, AK-47s firing blanks and, you know, they're shooting machine guns and stuff trying to scare you. So they're stationed along the ev- the practice evasion route and you, they didn't try to find you all that well. They found one guy. They, um, they taunted him and they ended up letting him go. But, you know, practice evasion was easy. It wasn't that long of a distance, 300 yards maybe, uh, all wooded, all on your hands and knees. Because if you stand up, you're going to be seen, okay? So your hands and knees crawling through the bushes, staying close to trees, you know, again, staying out of sight as best you can. It didn't take all that long. One guy got caught. So that was our our talk that night. As we're sitting around eating what's to be the last of our sea rations. Because the next day is the real evasion. Um, Make your preparations. Get ready. Fill up your canteens. um, Because the next day the real evasion starts... I don't know, eight o'clock maybe. Eight thirty. I don't remember. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't first thing in the morning. It wasn't at sunrise. They gave us time to get up. We had to clean up the camp, throw away trash, put stuff, police the place up to be ready, and we all lined up. So yeah, that night after the practice evasion, we're all telling our stories about how close or how far we had been from the bad guys, and uh, and wow, you know, it's really going to happen now, and that's us tomorrow. And are you nervous? Excited? Da 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 da. So here it is the next morning. The instructors line us up. Okay, this is the real deal. You are to move from point A to point B. Point B is what's called Freedom Village. And in the real world, if you had 
uh, you know, are behind enemy lines, okay, and you're trying to evade capture, you 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 are evading capture and you're moving to a destination, and that destination is either friendly pickup or a resistance underground that's willing to help you out, willing to help you get back to your comrades. Um, so that was Freedom Village. Freedom Village was representative of if you made it to Freedom Village, you would have you would have hooked up with the resistance, or you would have made it to back to friendly lines or friendly towns or something like that. Now out here in Warner Springs in the wilds in the woods, Freedom Village was a six by six, you know, metal shack, okay, with a fake little farm out front and a farmer. And oh, and that night, the night before the real evasion, we had to come up with a passphrase uh, that uh, we would say a word, then the Freedom Village guy would say the next word, and we would say the third word, and that was our our challenge and response that would meant that we had actually made it through and we'd actually hooked up with the right guy um and our our challenge and response was don't you know us the evader would say don't the freedom village guy would say get and we would say caught don't get caught and that was our you'd hooked up and whatever so you know point b was freedom village and find freedom village keep the sun on your left of your face which is basically the sun's rising in the east so go due south um that corner of the uh, the playing field was bordered on the uh, on the south by a ravine and on the west by a ravine. So Freedom Village was in the corner where these two ravines crossed. Okay, and that was as far as you could go. Anyway, if you got if you went past the ravines, you're out of bounds and get in trouble. And you know, so you're trying to move towards Freedom Village. Well, but a raid between our starting point and Freedom Village was all the bad guys. Okay, so they line us up. Tell you, you have four hours. We had until noon, I think, eleven thirty-ish, something like that. Three hours for you know to make it to Freedom Village. They fired a gun, which is a signal to the bad guys as much as it was to us to get going. Now, where you lined up, you could see maybe fifty yards, seventy-five yards ahead of you that it was clear. So a lot of us took off running. You know, we wanted to distance ourselves from the starting point as much as possible. So I remember I took off running for a bit when I got into a thick brush. You know, hit the deck and crawled the rest of the way. Now, having done the practice evasion the day before, crawling the whole way, and here I'm crawling, I'm, I had already regretted not preparing myself with having knee pads, knee pads and gloves. I was, I was kind of hurting at, at about halfway through this. And in the distance, you can hear gunfire. And in the distance, you can hear the bad guys and their fake, you know, Russian Soviet accents. The American bigs, we are coming to look for you. You know, and um, and it wasn't all that tough. I didn't see, I didn't see any bad guys for a couple hours. And I'm making my way south as best I can. I'm staying away from trails. I'm crawling in the bushes. I'm by myself. Some guys decided to buddy up. I think maybe now you have to buddy up. I'm not so sure. But I was by myself, and I'm creeping and I'm crawling and I'm 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 uh, moving south. Now, as you get close to these ravines, the the brush and the and the places to hide start to diminish. It's almost like because there's there's dirt roads through here where the bad guys have moved through in their jeeps and their two and a half ton trucks and 
you know, and I feel like I'm getting close. I can't see the place, but I, I found a ravine. And I figured it was the south ravine, so I'm thinking, oh, if I just have to follow this, head west, I'll I'll run into Freedom Village. But there was not a whole lot of places to hide. I mean, you, even crawling, you know, on your hands and knees, you're going to be seen. You're going to stand out like a bug on a plate, okay? Walking is absolutely guaranteed way to get caught. So I remember I was crawling along, and I'd and I'd get up on my knees to look around to see if I could you know, see in the distance. I would um, very rarely stand up. I, I think I stood up maybe twice just to see over or around trees or shrubs or something. You know, I hardly ever stood up. And at one point I stood up, and I and I and I it just was blind luck that I stood up, and I'm looking at the back of a bad guy. He was he had turned. He was looking the other way. So, I, and if I had stood up and he was looking my way, I would have been caught dead to rights. So I saw him. I hit the hit the ground as quickly as possible. It crawled, and there's a big, big, fat bush right, right there. I mean, the, the bush is probably six feet across. I mean, it's huge. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm gonna crawl inside this bush, and I'm not gonna move uh, until you know this guy moves off. You know, it, and you know, I don't know. You know, here I am. This is. You know, this is reflecting 24 years back. Uh, he might have been watching for people to walk up to Freedom Village. I don't know. I might have been close I, at that point. I don't know. Um, but I remember crawling in this bush and being able to position myself where I could see his head. And that sucker stood there for another 15, 20 minutes. Didn't move. Fired a few of his, uh, fired a few of his, uh, you know, some some rounds into the air. Maybe flush people out. I don't know. I watched him and I didn't move and I stayed there. And then he, after about 15, 20 minutes, he moved off. And I, I told myself, I'm going to count, <laughs> I'm going to count to a thousand. You know, I'm, I'm not going to move because I want to make sure he's moved off. I want to make sure he just hasn't moved out of my line of vision where I can't see him. And when I move out of this bush, he's going to grab me, you know. So I sat there and I waited and I waited. Um, Seriously, I probably counted. I I wanted to count to a thousand, but you know, your mind's fuzzy. You haven't eaten since the day before. I probably lost track of counting, and I just thought, okay, I'm done. So I crawl out of the bush, and I crawl the rest of the way to the ravine, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to turn right. So I crawl along the edge of the ravine, and sure enough, I see the little shack. So I crawl up to the farm, and there's a little farmer. He's a guy dressed in overalls, but he's carrying an M16. You know, he sees me laying there in the grass behind his little patch of vegetable patch and, um, you know, walks up to me, points a gun right at my face, and I say, don't, and he says, get caught. Okay, welcome to Freedom Village. Go inside here. And uh, inside Freedom Village, inside this little shack, was uh, a tray of vegetables. Uh, They were cooked probably, but they were cold, but they were sitting in, you know, a little bit of water, you know, it was... It was cabbage, it was potatoes, you know, eat, right? Some food to have because even though you made it to Freedom Village and technically in the real world, if you made it to Freedom Village, you wouldn't have to go through being a POW, (laughs) but this is training. So everyone has to go through it. So all this, all making a Freedom Village meant was that you were the last guys to get shipped off to the POW camp. So, you know, take your chance, drink, eat, relax, um, now, I remember being the first guy there. I, 
about three minutes later, one of the we had a couple recon marines in our class. Just a couple minutes after me, a recon marine showed up, and then the third guy was another enlisted guy like me, um, new air crewman. He kind of stumbled upon it. I, you know, the the recon marine. He he. It was fun to watch him approach. I could see him coming up from from inside the shack. I could see the way he approached. And anyway, so the three of us sitting there, um, eating our cooked raw cold vegetables, filling up. Um, also, we were emptying our canteens down to about half to a third because word had gotten out from other people who had gone through Sears school that when you got caught and got moved to the in-processing station, the first thing they did, they made you do, was drain your canteen. And if you spilled a drop, you got a beating. <laughs> so we wanted to have just enough of the water to have some water to drink, but you know, not have a full canteen to have to gorge yourself on. So anyway, when the evasion cycle was over, when your time was up, they sounded this big old fat air raid siren kind of a thing. And if you hadn't found Freedom Village at that point, you were when you heard their siren, you were to move to a road and wait to be picked up. So we heard the siren, you know, about 15 minutes later, the, the Freedom Village farmer dude comes in and says, okay, they'll be along here shortly. Uh, you know, good luck, guys. Remember your training. And he disappears. And he goes out, and then you hear him put up like a fight, you know, a gunfight, you know, because you can see the, the the bad guys wore red berets, okay? They're wearing, you know, uh, camouflage, or actually black. It was like black uh, uh, fatigues, not fatigues, but battle dress uniform, BDUs, that's what the Army calls them, camis, but they're all black and with a red beret, and they would, in their AK-47s, and you could see them creeping up on us, and the little Freedom Village guy, you know, he had a firefight with them. You know, they traded stuff, and, and they come storming in to our little shack. Now, at this point, it's all kind of funny to me because it's like, okay, all all this time it's been not all that real, you know. Yes, we practice evading. Yes, we could hear them shooting blanks at you, but it, up until this point, it's all you you. Yeah, it's not in your gut. It's not. It's all just theory, right? Okay, yeah, there's bad guys, but they come in and they're angry. <laughs> and but I'm smiling at because I think it's funny the way they're dressed. And right away, what they're yelling at me? What is so funny, pig? <laughs> I'm I'm trying. I want to talk in their fake accents, but I'm gonna make myself laugh. What's so funny, pig? You know, get up, get out, get out. And he would say, "Hey, we got the one who's smiling here," and and uh, one of his. But he says, comrades, oh, we'll make, we'll, we'll be wiping smile off his face. Do not worry. Get out, big, on the ground, you know. And, and they show us that they've, uh, that they've killed the other, they killed our Freedom Village guy, like he's laying dead on the ground. And they have a truck, they throw us in the back of a truck and they take us, uh, to the processing center. Processing center was just like a, a dirt lot somewhere in the woods where all they're jumping people off. And the place was just a beehive of activity. All 36 dudes, and they're asking, which one's a senior ranking officer? Which one is this? You come here, you do that, you know, line up. And um, now, like I told you, we had, we were issued fatigues, greens, shirt, pants, long john shirt, long john pants, uh, boots, hat. And at this in-processing center, they took away our pants. So we're running around in our long john pants. And they took away our long john shirt. So we had our green shirt 
and our long john pants, boots. Uh, we didn't get to keep our hats either. And um, so they're doing all this. They're you know, line us up, drink your, drink, take this canteen, empty it, uh, give us the canteen back. It's the last time you're going to see that. Um, then some rudimentary questioning began. How many people are in your group? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? What kind of airplane were you in? Um, you know, I don't know. I'm just this, you know, give my name, rank, serial number, date of birth. I don't know how many people. I'm one of, oh, I think we were told we were allowed to say we're 36 people. Because it was important if you're 36 people, they know they got all of them. I, I don't know. Maybe not. I Just name, rank, serial number. So at one point, they had the senior ranking officer. Now, he was lieutenant commander, like I said, 04. And he was a little bit older. Maybe 30. He looked older than 30, but he was probably around 30, 35, somewhere in there. And they <laughs> they come get me, and they stand me in front of him, and they're quizzing him and hosing him down at the same time, making him do jumping jacks. And they say, okay, you answer the question, or I'm going to beat this. <laughs> I'm going to kill this young man here, and he's got me, right? And so I'm standing there at attention. Because that was, they made you stand at attention, and they're making him do jumping jacks. And I remember standing there, and these these two arms rest on my shoulders. The guy standing behind me puts his arms on my shoulders, where I can see his fists, and he's cracking his knuckles in front of me and he, in front of my face, and he's, you know, flexing his fists. And some guy, one of his comrades, walks up, "Comrade, what are you doing?" And he says, "I'm going to beat this one if this one doesn't answer my question." <laughs> And this guy's you know, doing jumping jack. Don't stop jumping jack or jack jumping. I forget the crazy term there. Do not stop or we will beat this defenseless guy. You know, so already, the, you know, it's all about mind game. So eventually they they uh, put they put the hoods on our heads and they march us over to the POW camp. Now the POW camp is probably, okay, Fifty yards square, fifty by fifty yards, two levels. It was kind of on the side of a hill. The lower levels were all the little the little cages. They weren't cages. They were like little concrete kennels. That's what they remind me of dog kennels, but they were low. Um, barely, you had to sit in them, crawl inside and out of them. You could sit upright in them. You could almost lay down in them without your feet sticking out. So that's how long they were. They were wide. Maybe three, maybe three feet wide, maybe you know, little place, and that's where you had to sit inside. The upper level was where the the camp buildings were. There was also a couple bunkers up there, and then they had the flat. They had a couple guard towers. They had a gate, um, and they would put you to work. You know, we would rake the ground with our fingers. We would move, put rocks in a row. Uh, Whenever we heard a gunfire, we all had to hit the deck. Um, we were all given war criminal numbers because we were war criminals, right? We got put in our cages. War criminal numbers were inside. You had to tie them on. I was war criminal number 44. You had to sit in your cage in a certain way. Your legs crossed. Your your hands on your knees, palms to sky, they would say. So your hands would be facing up. And they would... If they looked inside and they didn't see you sitting like that, they would drag you out and give you a beating. Now, a beating, okay, was they would stand you by this wall or this it's piece of it's a piece of corrugated sheet metal, okay, that flexes. 
they'd, they would grab your the lapels of your shirt really tight. So when they moved their fists back and forth, you moved as well. And they would slam you into this metal wall that would give. Getting slammed to the wall didn't hurt because the wall gived. What might have hurt is some bruises you might have gotten from the fists, you know, up against your chest as, it got, as you got pounded into this wall. So anytime you didn't, uh, you know, hop to it or do whatever or didn't do something right, they would take you over and give you a beating and slam you into this wall. And they would tell you to grab raggings. Grab raggings, pig. That meant that you would just, you would grab onto the, the loose sides of your long john pants or your pants. So your arms are straight at your sides and you'd grab that and you hold onto your pants whenever you ran around. Um, I just remember, and, and a lot of times they moved around, you had a hood on. Well, going back to the lecture of having small victories, the hood, would ha- if it had a hole in it, you know, you would position it so you could still look around. It, it's funny because they could tell, you know, if someone's got a hood and they can't see, they just, they just walk straight or they walk very hesitantly, right? But if you got a hood with a hole in it, you can see, you know, the hood's moving around because the guy's looking around, checking the place out. And if they caught you, they most likely, again, give you a beating. Um, so yeah, beehive of activity. We got put in our little cages. Um, but the, I mean, and oh, and the, the guard would walk around and pound on the top of your cage and you were supposed to respond with, sir, war criminal number 44, sir, or you were criminal number. And it wasn't such a big deal, except at night, they didn't want you sleeping and try to keep you up, right? So they would, you know, they would do, they would start this process in the daytime, you know, pound on the thing, give you a war criminal number. Now, I don't know what to talk about next. All right, before before we got caught, before you got in the PLW cam, you know, they told you the procedure for escaping. You could not escape unless you had what they called an escape chit. An escape chit was anything with the word escape written on it and signed by someone in our in our class on the escape committee. Well, how do you find out who's on the escape committee? I had no idea. Um, but all I knew is that, you know, very rarely could you even get together. You know, they kept you separate. You know, you're in your cages. They would take work parties out to rake the fingers with their dirt, rake the fingers with their rake the dirt with their fingers, or stack and move rocks, or do whatever, running around. Um, not all of us at the same time. I, I remember very clearly. Oh, when you're in your cage and you got to use the, the the head, you got to go. You know, you have to use the restroom. There was a coffee can with a plastic bag in it. So, you know, if you had to go that bad, the the best strategy was to wait until you're out in a work detail and then they would give you permission to go take a, if you had to you know, take a leak, you, they had places to go do that. You certainly didn't want to do it in your cage because you didn't want to kick it over by accident or anything like that. But I remember, you know, we're in our cage, you know, some of us more brave would crawl up to the opening and stick our heads out and look around. I remember seeing uh, a guy in my class from, from he, was a, he was a fellow AW and he was he was in the pipeline with me and we were waving at each other, you know, silly stuff. But as day wore on, you know, we, we were taken one by one up to the camp commandant for questioning. This is what they called hard cell interrogation. Um, you're asked questions with the threat of bodily harm. Now, at this point, you're starting to buy into your training. Okay, you know you're in training. You know it's you're you're you know it's not real. 
but you're starting to buy into it. You're starting to play along, okay? Because if you didn't play along, you did jump because you kept it in your head. This is only training. They can't hurt me. They can't shoot me. They can't do whatever. You would you would fail. They would take you aside if you were, if they were doing something, beating you or or telling you to think, trying to get something out of you, whatever. And you're resisting and you're resisting more. I mean, like swearing at them or say screw you, you know, whatever. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They would they would stop the simulation. They would say. They would, they would drop their phony accents and they would tell you that this is an academic situation. And if you heard the phrase in a normal American voice, this is an academic situation, you were in trouble, in trouble of failing and having to do start over from the beginning. And they would tell you why it's academic, why you shouldn't be doing this, why, where, where, what portion of your training of how to resist you've forgotten, what portion of your training that you're, you're forgetting or whatever. And they would, you know, they would counsel you, say, okay, look, you get another one of these or two more of these, or you don't, you don't start playing nice. We're going to send you back and you get to, you get to do it over. So, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind while you're getting your hard sell interrogation. You, you, you're buying into it to the point where you don't want to fail. Okay. And believe me, after sleep deprivation and after food deprivation, um, the buying into it becomes almost natural. It's almost, you, you're starting to believe it. So anyway, it was afternoon, evening, sun was going down, and I got my trip up to the camp commandant's office for my hard sell interrogation. What is your name? You know, tell my name, rank, uh, serial number, which at that point is just your social, date of birth. But the funny thing is they'd ask the questions, you know, okay, what is your name? What is your rank? You know, instead of asking your date of birth. What is the date your whore mother brought you to face the earth? I mean, just things like that, you know. And then they start asking you the questions you're not allowed to answer. What is your job in the Navy? What is this you do? What is that you do? Now, the first time, you know, what is your job in the Navy? And I responded with name, rank, and serial number. I got a beating. Now, inside the Camp Commandant's office, there is no flexible corrugated metal wall to get slammed into. <clears throat> What they have behind you is a padded section of the wall, which you can't see. You know, you don't know it's padded until you get slammed into it. But they only use that trick once, okay? Trust me. You know, I didn't didn't answer right, got slammed in the wall. Oh, it's not that bad. Well, the next time you don't answer the question, they don't slam you into the wall. They put you in this uncomfortable half-crouching position where you're not allowed to lean against the wall. You're on the balls of your feet. You're crouched down. Your head's tilted back. So your head's touching the wall. Your arms are stretched out with your palms to the sky. And they make you stay there until you fall down. And when you fall down, then they beat you and they make you do it over again. So that was about the most unpleasant thing in the world. To be sitting there while your legs catch fire from the inside because your muscles are just screaming. Um, and again, they ask you the question, what do you do? So I decided, I decided I'd lie. Which is one of the choices you can make when you're resisting interrogation is you can lie. They warn you, though, not to lie because if someone else tells a different story, you're in big trouble. So, again, you know, the, the whole question that I was resisting is what is your job in the Navy? What is the two-letter designation of your job in the Navy? Or tell me what you do. So I told them, you know, I drive, tr- I drive, uh, you know, I, I'm, I drive trucks and vehicles. I'm, I move vehicles from one place to another. I just, you know, that's all I do. I'm a vehicle driver. Right. Okay. Vehicle driver. What is 
fine, vehicle driver, what is the two letter? And I told him it was a VD, right? Because <laughs> I think I'm clever, right? I'm 19 years old. <laughs> I think I'm VD. And he got so angry, what? In my country, VD is a disease for, for sexual, I mean, just freaking. And I'm wondering if the guy was trying not to laugh, but because I thought I was funny, but you know, again, that earned me a beating. <laughs> it earned me more time in that stinking crouching position. Now, again, I'll ask you, what is it you do? I told him, I said, look, I drive vehicles and trucks around. Okay, I'm not VD, I'm TD. Now, at that time, in the Navy, there was a rating called TD. And a TD was someone who maintained simulators, flight simulators, training devices, men, whatever. So, you know, so I wasn't, okay, I'm a TD, right? So they looked up what a, what a TD was. They would know that I'm not a truck driver. But then again, they wouldn't know what my real job was because I don't want them to know. So once I cracked and told them that I was TD, they sent me back to, they sent me back to my cage. Now I also have to tell you that the whole time that you're inside this camp, they have a loudspeaker blaring with this crazy, crazy music. Um, <clears throat> some of it sounds like, uh, some of it sounds like Middle Eastern Muslim people calling people to prayer. You know, just loud. And another one was. Um, there's a poem by Rudyard Kipling called Boots. Boots, 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 moving up and down again. And and that's what you would hear over and over. And it would it would get louder, or not louder, it would get faster. And the guy would be screaming at the end, and then you'd get something else. So just always just something being blasted over the loudspeaker. Uh, shortly after sundown, no, not maybe, maybe well into dark, they came around and fed us. And it was oatmeal. It was in a, you know, what you would, uh, like a, you know, like a canteen kit, a, f- a field mess kit, right? Just the bowl, metal bowl. No, you eat with your hands. So we ate the oatmeal with the hands. It was about the best tasting oatmeal I'd ever had. Because again, um, you know, I hadn't eaten in almost 24 hours. Well, I, I had my fruits and ve- I had my vegetables at Freedom Village, though. So. Still, it's it's been a good nine, ten hours. Plenty of activity. I'm hungry. Oatmeal is good. So then, you know, having no idea what time it is, um, it couldn't have been too late because I wasn't all that sleepy. Um, a guy named Yuri comes along. He comes and gets me. Now, Yuri is the soft cell interrogator. And Yuri calls you by name. Doesn't call you by work. Michael, come with me, Michael. And he takes you down to his little office, which is which is not up, up on high like the camp commandant's office. It's down here and it's more comfortable. Would you like a drink? Now, in training, they told you, whatever they offer you, you take it. They offer you a creature comfort, you take it. Do not feel about, do not feel guilty about getting a creature comfort, you take it. If uh, they try to use it as leverage against you, everyone else is supposed to know that it's just a mind game and that they give you a creature comfort, they shouldn't be holding it against you that you took it and they didn't get it, okay? So do you need the cigarette? No, don't smoke. How about some more? So I get a drink of water, he takes me into his office, and now he's, you know, again... What is it you do with it? Oh, but it's all about, it's all about, uh, you know, if you want uh, magazines sent, what magazines do you like? You know, what this kind of thing. And you're, again, name, rank, serial number, date of birth. Because <clears throat> you, you, you may or may not know what he's after, but you're still not supposed to be giving him anything. Um, and you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be using your best judgment if, if you're talking about harmless things. 
you know, what kind of magazines you like. Okay, fine. You know, I can tell what kind of magazines I like. Um, you know, what kind of sports do you like to play? I mean, just yeah, crazy stuff. And they do it to get you comfortable, break down any kind of resistance you have to whatever. Because shortly after, you know, he's gained your confidence that he's not going to beat you and that he's nice and he's here for your benefit. Um, uh, he hits you with, okay, I need you to sign a confession. I need you to sign this, or I need you to sign that. Like, no, I'm not signing anything. Well, if you don't sign anything, it's going to go bad for you. You know, I hate to see it go bad for you. So can you please, you know, sign this? No. Now, he hits the $64,000 question. Well, what would you be willing to sign? Well, shoot, you know, I'm thinking I'd be willing to sign the uh, the statement, the, the code of conduct. I would sign my name to the American POW Code of Contact. I am an American fighting man, blah, 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 blah. Are you surprised I can't remember it 20 some odd years later? I had a better better fresh in my head at that point. I, okay, I'll be willing to sign that. Okay, fine. Here is a pencil. Red flag, right? Of course, I didn't pick up on it. And a paper. You write down a statement that you're willing to sign. So I do my best to full-on write out the American POW Code of Conduct. I'm an American fighting man. I'm doing this for my country. And I sign it. Hand it back to him. Nice. Thank you. Okay. We'll take care of this. Um, So then he's asking me more more questions. And I can't remember anything. And the whole time, of course, I didn't pick up on this. The whole time, he's, he's erasing what I wrote and wrote in something else. Of course, leaving my signature, right? So then in the session, he hands me the paper. And it says... I hate my country. I denounce the United States. I do this, da, 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 da. just full on, completely opposite of what I would say. And the last thing is, for I am at heart truly a communist. And there's my signature, right? Because he erased everything I wrote and put in all this drivel. And I was stunned. I'm thinking, okay, I got caught. Oh, crap, what am I going to do now? You know? Uh, and he takes it back. He says, okay, we're done. Thank you very much for being so cooperative. Takes me back to my cage. Holy crap. You know, I'm just freaking out about this. Um, no, cause I've seriously messed up. You know, I've, I've lied, you know, I lied to, to about my job rather than resist. I caved after some physical discomfort and, and told a story that was a lie instead of just resisting as much as I could and telling the truth. Um, they take me back to my cage and you know the pounding on, cause now it's late. That's probably after midnight one in the morning and um, the pounding on the thing starts, sir, war criminal number 44, sir, you know, I'm trying to catch a little cat naps here and there with between the pounding and the stinking loudspeaker blaring crap all night long. A couple few hours later, someone takes me out of my cage. The, uh, the camp commandant or the camp disciplinarian, I forget which wants to come, wants, wants to see you. Okay, fine. So it's dark. He's sitting by a friggin' bonfire. He's sitting by a bonfire. And he says, I have this document in my hand and I'm about to send it off to whatever. And and he wants to, he's quizzing me about something, you know, before I, oh, he's using his leverage against me. He wants me to start answering more questions about what our mission was, where we were flying from, where we were flying to, all this stuff. Because if I don't answer, he's going to send this paper <laughs> with me signing that I'm a communist, you know, off to the United States and they'll never come get me, right? And I'm like, okay, uh, no, I, I at this point learned I, I've got to resist. You know, I can't, I can't answer any more questions. I've already screwed up enough. Don't make it any worse. So I'm resisting. I'm not, you know, 
Name, rank, so number, date of birth. Name, I'm trying to resist. I'm just afraid he's going to, you know, because these guys have been known to slap people, all right? Beatings are not just slamming into walls. Beatings could be an actual physical blow across the face, which happened later. I'll get to that. <clears throat> let me let me let me uh, let me apologize now that the show is probably going to be closer to an hour and a half. All right, so two in the morning, maybe I have no idea. Uh, not slept much. You know, my one meal. My mind's reeling from getting sucker punched by the soft cell dude, and here I'm getting quizzed again. You know, if you don't. So at one point, you know, he's standing next to me by this bonfire, just just grilling me. Tell me what I want to know. No, you know, name, rank, serial number, date of birth. Name, rank, serial number, date of birth. Fine. Okay. So then someone, Commandant, come here. I need you uh, something intense. So he hands me my papers with my name signed to some statement that I'm a communist. Hands it to me. I'll be right back. Do not move. I'm standing, folks, I'm standing by an open bonfire with this document in my hand. And all I have to do is drop it in the fire. And all evidence of me citing this thing is gone. Do I do it? No. At this point, I don't know what's wrong with me. My my brain is screaming, throw it in the fire, throw it in the fire. And another part of the brain is going, don't do it. You're going to get, you'll, they'll, they'll be, they'll be worse. You know, you might get academic situation. I don't know. Right. I've got this internal conflict going on. They probably left me standing alone by that fire by myself with this thing in my hand for a good 10 minutes. Never could do it. Never could do it. He comes back, takes the thing from my hand. You know what this tells me? That you are yellow. You have a big yellow streak down the middle of your back. And he was right. I was scared to throw the stinking thing in the fire. So that's strike two in my book. I was so disappointed with myself. So I got thrown back in my cage, you know, a couple hours later, sun's coming up, you know, all night long. We've hardly slept. Um, they drag us all out for a morning formation, some morning exercise, uh, clean up the yard, more raking the dirt with your fingers. Um, then they started this other thing where they would, like I said, they would shoot a gun into the air. We'd all have to hit the deck. Um, but then they do this other thing. Okay, American planes are coming in. We're getting these bunkers they had. Get in the bunkers, get in the bunkers. Um and they put hoods on us while we we're in the bunkers. Everyone's sitting on the ground. Um, okay, while we're waiting for, you know, the all clear to go back out, we want to ask questions. Okay, so everyone's blindfolded with this, these hoods on. And so, okay, we want to make volleyball. Who likes playing volleyball? Raise your hands. And they would count. One, two, three, four. You know, who likes playing this sport? One, two, three, four. Okay. We want to split the teams up evenly. How many people are this? Uh, you know, how many people are pilots? Now, I would expect no one to raise their hand, but everyone's got a blind or a hood on, so you can't see. But they would count. Okay, one, two, three. All right, let's split up by clearance. How many people have a security clearance of secret? One, two, three, four, five. And I know for a fact no one raised their hand, but they would say these things to try to get you to think that other people were, you know? There's one more thing that they would try to sneak information out of you. Um, I thought it was actually kind of clever. So, you know, all clear. We go back out in the yard, do some more running around. Um, they uh, you know, shot the gun in there. Someone did get down on the ground fast enough, and this is where someone got slapped. Someone did get down on the ground fast enough when they were shooting the gun. Um, so he got picked up. 
he got slapped across the face. They told us, you know, American planes come. Everyone in the bunker. This time they didn't blindfold us, and they shoved us in there. And this poor guy started crying. I mean, he got whacked hard, and um, you know, I don't know if it was his personal breaking point, what had happened, but yeah, he started he started sobbing. You know that that he got hit, and you know they'd been messing with us all day, up, down, in the bunkers, out of the bunkers, and uh, he must have hit his, you know. His, <clears throat> And, you know, everyone was trying to comfort him the best they could. You know, it's all dudes. There's no girls going through this training at this point. Um, you know, doing the best. Okay, man, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Trying to buck him up, you know. Because some, some guys are uncomfortable around other guys crying, and some guys aren't. So, But the senior ranking officer or lieutenant commander, he stepped up, you know, put his arm around him. said, okay, you'll be fine. You know, come on. You're, you're, you're a sailor in the United States Navy. You need to be stronger. And kind of talked him down. Okay, um, so in and out, so in and out, in the bunker, out of the bunker, move rocks, do this more crazy, busy activity. Um, I'm trying to remember, there's a there's a point where they give water torture. I can't remember if it was our first day there or the second day there, if they give water torture. Water torture, they have someone laying on a bench where the head is lower than the feet, you know, the feet are higher. They hold their forehead down to the bench with a towel and then pour water into their face uh, as a method of of torturing <clears throat> torturing them to get them to talk or torturing them so we would talk um, but I can't remember if they did that that day or the day before they also had a cage a stand up cage that had a, a a ceiling that they could move and they'd stick somebody in there and make it just short enough that they'd have to hunch over to be inside keep them in there for an hour that was reserved for someone who did something special I don't remember what all right, so, so yeah, it's it's mid morning, second day, and you know they're shooting the gun, hit the deck, get in the bunker. Airplanes are coming, uh, move rocks, do this. Um, during this whole time, I don't think anybody of our class escaped. I have no idea. I don't, I don't remember anyone ever claiming they escaped. The thing was, is if you escaped. You had to turn yourself back in because you just couldn't not go. You couldn't see. You go to the POW camp to get processed in to know, to learn to the resistance, and you learn. You have to learn to resist a hard cell. You have to you have to go through resisting a hard cell interrogation. You have to go through resisting a soft cell interrogation. There's these things that you have to be in there to do to have experienced it. So if it ever happens to you in real life, you've done it before. You know what to do. So if you escape. Too bad. You get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's the story. And you get thrown back in because you still have to go through all this stuff. But pat yourself on the back. You escaped. And in the real world, you wouldn't have to do it. Just like those of us who made it to Freedom Village, pat yourself on the back. But too bad. You're going through anyway. All right. So <clears throat> it's, you know, mid-morning, second day, 10, 11. Right now, now this is, now at this point, we don't know this is the climax. But I'm going to warn you, this is the climax. Okay. So. At some point, mid-morning, they get us all out. They have us line up in our formation. Then they have us sit down, and they have us lock arms. And um, this is where the camp commandant comes out, and he starts yelling at us, telling us that we're worthless, we're spineless. We are the reason that the that United States is going to lose any war against their little country oh quick tangent 
we were we were in the People's Democratic Republic, by the way. These were these soldiers were members of the PDR, <laughs> the People's Democratic Republic. Just kind of funny. That's their communist, whatever. So anyway, we're getting the tirade from from the camp commandant that we're worthless, we're weak, America is decadent, uh, they can't win anything. You know, just basically uh, reading us a riot act and and and. and Pissing a lot of us off. I seem to remember being very angry. Now, at some point during this, the camp disciplinarian comes running out, and he's got an American flag in his hand. And he's, Commander, look what I have found. And, and the commander says, give that worthless rag to me. Let me ask you all. Does anybody here know what the red on this flag means? And and a couple guys said, out, you know, it's, it's re- supposed to represent the, the blood lost in battle. And and the uh, and the guy says yes, blood, blood lost in battle, the blood of the women and children of my country that flows three f- freely through the rivers that you have shed, and you just you know turning it around, right? Who who here can tell me what the white the white stripes? What is it? What do the white stripes mean? You know, someone purity of spirit. Yes, purity of spirit. The women who sell themselves in the corners of the streets of your country are wrapped in this rag. And the purity of their spirit. Of course, I forgot. Now, <clears throat> after these two points, you know, some of these guys are getting really angry. They're trying to stand up, you know, but our arms are locked. The other dudes are pulling them down, you know, don't, don't do it, you know, because if you stood up at this point, you'd probably get beaten, thrown into the cage or something, you know, something bad, water torture, we don't know. Then he asks about what the blue field means and, uh, you know, someone shouts out the answer, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, the, no, no. The blue means represents the blue bloods who really run your country." You know, and he goes on. Uh, this 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 flag means nothing. It's worthless. It's it's. Uh, you know, I I wipe my bottom. Well, he didn't say that. <laughs> I wipe my ass with it. Okay, <laughs> um, and he you know he just does all kinds of crazy things to the American flag, and it's making everybody, all of us, you know angry it's making us restless you know we're grumbling we're shouting hey you know knock it off whatever and the guards are shouting us shut up sit down you know american pig you keep your mouth shut and he he wraps up his i mean he's just yelling and screaming and just just defacing the american flag you know and says all this flag is worth is to be burned and he throws it in in a campfire and turns and he says look there and he points to the flagpole with the communist flag flying from it Look there, and you will see the flag that you'll worship for the rest of your life. <clears throat> At that point, the the loudspeaker system that had been playing all this crazy stuff starts playing the Star Spangled Banner. the The communist flag goes down. At the same time, the communist flag goes down. The American flag rises up, and at that point, all these guys start yelling at us: "Get on your feet! Get on your feet! On your feet now! On your feet now!" And um, they all take off the red berets. They take off any other uh, Soviet-looking appurtenances on their costumes. I'll call them. And um, you know, everyone's supposed to uh, stand at attention while the while the uh, national anthem plays. You know. And I guarantee you, out of the thirty-six dudes that were in that class, every single one of us was crying because the, <laughs> that's the signal that the training is over, right? Um, 
and you've been there approximately 24 hours. Now that 24 hours, you got one meal. You haven't slept much. And um, you've bought into it, right? You've bought into you're in a POW camp. Um, partly because you you know you want to do it because you want to successfully complete training, but also because you've been sleep deprived and food deprived and and you your mind has been messed with for the last twenty four hours. And to to see the flag, the American flag come up, I can't describe it, but I know I was crying. And um, as soon as the national anthem was over. All the guys who are our guards were saying, you've made it. Congratulations. You know, give yourselves a pat on the back. You guys have done a good job. All that stuff. All to bring us back down because, seriously, everyone was emotionally tore up. Okay, get back in formation. You know, they, they uh, a good way to help you compartmentalize is they start making you military things again. You know, enough with the tears. You know, form up your, you know, senior ranking officer, form up your class. And then all the guards stood up, and they all introduced themselves. Um, you know, their 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 name and rank here. A lot of them were corpsmen, medical guys, because I guess you know guys sprain ankles or they have problems or whatever. So a lot, you know, half, fully half the instructors were corpsmen. A couple of the instructors were SEAL types, boats and mates. A couple of instructors were aircrew types. I don't remember any officers being instructors. They'll introduce themselves, <clears throat> you know, BM1, whatever, John Smith, you know, uh, HM1, you know, Jack Jones, whatever. They all just introduce themselves. Okay. Senior ranking officer, you know, uh, dismiss your class, go out the gate, uh, pick up any stuff you want, uh, and you'll find the buses around the corner. Well, you go out the gate. All right outside the gate is the, is the pile of stuff they took away from you at the processing center, your canteen, your pants, and your long john shirt, any uh, <laughs> any all the knee pads that they had taken away from people because some people were smart and they brought knee pads. So all this stuff was in a big pile. You had to find your canteen. You had to find your the rest of your pieces of your uniform that they had loaned you to take back. You go back. I swear it was I don't know thirty feet around the corner, and is where the buses had dropped us off. <laughs> the classroom that we first went in was right there. And and the whole time, you know, you're driving around or whatever, you're doing all this stuff, you think everything's spread out and they take you right back to where you started. Of course, when you show up there, you don't you don't recognize the stuff as a POW camp, but you walk out, you go, holy cow. Oh, and also right outside the, uh, the gate was an ambulance in case someone had some problem. They had an ambulance right there to zip you off to the closest hospital so yeah we go uh you know we go around put our stuff on they put us on the bus they give us a sack lunch and the bus takes us back to san diego we're told to get cleaned up you know and report to the classroom the next day to get our certificates um and our patch they give you a little patch that said sierra school on it with a i don't know if it was a if it's a chinese or japanese uh petroglyph piece of writing that says here there are tigers or here there be tigers or whatever um so i have you know that's something you're supposed to keep and cherish because supposedly you know if they screw up your dd214 you can present the certificate of completion so you don't have to go through sear again um but i i submit to you that you might have to do a refresher you know 20 years into it i have no idea 
Um, so yeah, we got on the bus. Every every single every single one of us ate our food, slept the whole way. Um, you know, we get back to our barracks. Uh, a lot of the aircrew types were all in the same building. It was one of those buildings that had uh, I don't know ten rooms on a floor, uh, with you know a central you know head, maybe four or five showers. So you know the showers will fill up. And we're having to shave off a week's worth of beard. You know, just getting to get cleaned up and be presentable to show up to class the next day. And then again, you know, next day, nothing fancy, not a fancy graduation like all the previous, you know, SAR school is a fancy graduation, AWA school, fancy graduation, aircrew school. This was just sit in the classroom, pass out, pass out the, uh, they call your name with your certificate. You come up, get it, sit down, you know, congratulations, uh, you know, move on to your next thing, um, which for... Those of us who were AWs, it was going to be what's called Common Core. It was also run by FASO, so I didn't have to move or anything. We just had to make sure we stood up. Oh, but that was this was also September 2nd, which was a Friday before Labor Day. So we had a three-day weekend to do whatever. And then on Tuesday the 6th, the Common Core class stood up. So <clears throat> that's, that's Sears School in a nutshell. Survival, Evasion. Survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. I didn't get to do any escaping. My resistance, I'm, my resistance was futile. But sorry, my resistance could have been better. Um, I didn't do the best resisting. You know, I went down the lying route, which you know they warned you to be careful of. Um, I f- failed horribly at the soft sell business. Oh well. Either way, I you know went through it and moved on. But um, you know, I used to tell I've been telling these stories over the years. I haven't told the Searsfield story in a long time, and it's nice to get it down on on tape. Yeah, it's nice to get it down in a recorded format. So when the kids ask, I can have I can play this for them, or I'll tell them the story. But either way, um, very memorable. It's something you'll never forget uh, if you don't come away with a deep deep profound respect for the american flag i don't know what will do it to you i remember coming away thinking you know that's a just just incredible incredible sense of feeling a relief that you are not in a communist country and that you're in the good old us of a um just amazing all right so next up will be uh aw common core uh, that'll be the next episode um probably come out in a couple weeks um let's see and then after that will be, what comes after Common Core? HSL 31, Aircrew Training Syllabus. That's what's called the RAG. That'll be two weeks out. And then um, one last appeal for email. Send me an email, navalaircrew at gmail.com. Go to the website, www.navalair.net. Check into the forums. Leave some feedback on the forums. Leave some feedback on iTunes. I really appreciate it. Good feedback, bad feedback. I like it all. So that's going to do it for now. I'm going to sign off. Stay safe and God bless.